Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn to Psalm chapter 91 this evening? Psalm 91, if you, if you notice, there's no superscript there. There's no human author uh, that's listed at the beginning of Psalm 91. But as is the case whenever we study any of the Psalms together, God, of course, is the ultimate author. Uh, some people believe Moses uh, wrote this Psalm, as well as a previous one, where he is listed as a human author. It was very common uh, for these anonymous Psalms to be attributed anyway to whoever was named uh, last and uh, there are themes and descriptions in, in Psalm 91 that would line up with events in the life of Moses. Uh, it, things that are referenced here that would kind of correlate to the plagues in Egypt. And the, you'll notice phrases like the pestilence that walks in darkness, um, thousands falling dead around you but not affecting you. Uh, and there are frightening things uh, that are referenced here and there in Psalm 91. Uh, but, but honestly, the content of, of this song's lyrics are truly nothing uh, but a list of facts for us to focus on about God, and that should fuel our faith. Um, so a lot of times we'll call this moving from fear to faith. This one we could call no fear, just facts, just faith. Uh, I know Megan was a little disappointed because she wouldn't be with us here in person because this is one of her favorite psalms. Martin Luther said of Psalm 91, it is the most distinguished jewel among all the psalms of encouragement. Let's read it. Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked." Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him." I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. All right, so, um, yeah, it's not really a whole lot of fear there, uh, not compared to other psalms where often the very first section is all 
about that. Uh, really, what we have here is just facts about who God is and what God has done and what God's promised. Um, that should point us to faith. We're told, first of all, in the first two verses, that there's a peace <laughs> that comes from God's presence. That's the first fact that we're encouraged to focus on here. It will help us stay out of fear and will help us live in faith. It's the availability of God's presence. Now, there's a reason I use that term, availability, and we'll clamp down on that in just a bit. Um, but there's a piece that, that both causes and results in faith because of the fact of God's presence, that, that he is near. One of God's character qualities, of course, is his omnipresence, that he's everywhere. But what's mentioned here in the first two verses, it's a little bit different than that. It's way more specific. It's way more peace-infusing than just this general reality that God is present everywhere. Uh, I do want to look at the... Um, You'll notice that there's four different names in, in this first, these first two verses for God, four different names of God that he reveals to us. Um, they're names that he wants us to know him by. Uh, he wants us to know who he is for us. First of all, he's the most high. That's, that's in the Hebrew, El Yaun. No one, there's no one above him. He's the most high. There, there's no one who's in authority over him. He's the top one in control. And then in verse 1, he's the he's almighty uh, Shaddai comes from the Hebrew word Shaddad, the, the omnipotent, all-powerful one. And I thought that was interesting that that is uh, one of the most prevalent names of God that Job used in his book. He's almighty. He's omnipotent, all-powerful one. He's the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R. That's Yahweh. That's the primary name that God told Moses that he wanted his people to be known by. Remember back there at the, at the burning bush and uh, in Exodus, uh, Yahweh, it means that the one who is. <laughs> he never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. It also means the one who causes to be. He's our creator, and there's nothing that created him because he always is. Never had a beginning or end. And then finally, just that, that three-letter word, God. He's Elohim, the exclusive divine being. There's no other gods. So it's this God, and it's these names of God that he lists here to reveal to us all of the perfections of his attributes. Verse 2 tells us that this God, he, he is a refuge for us. Now, uh, the psalmist said in verse 1 that whoever will dwell in his presence and will abide under his shadow, he'll be a shadow for us, he'll be a refuge for us, a fortress. These are all descriptions of the benefits and the blessings, the peace that we have from his presence. Um, there's protection, there's providence, there's comfort that we find there. We're not going to find it anywhere else. Now, before we move on to verses 3 through 13 that um, go into more detail about the protection that is derived from his presence, it's vital that we recognize that last phrase in verse 2 and encourages us to say what is said there, in him, in him will I trust. So there's peace from God's presence. Now, begin verse 3, there's peace from God's protection. And all the way to 13, this is the main focus, the main body of this song, and it, it unleashes just an avalanche of the descriptions of God's protection of us. In verse 3, surely he will deliver thee from the fowler's snare and from the noisome pestilence, King James, for the deadly destruction. Uh, the peace we experience from his protection, it's described in verse 4, 
as him covering thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. And I want you to notice the last phrase in verse 4 in particular. It says, his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. In that time period, in that culture, there were two kinds of defensive armor pieces uh, for the warrior. Um, you had a shield, smaller, more mobile, and you had a buckler, kind of like a, a belt that you'd buckle. It would envelop you. It was a man-sized uh, shield. Both of these important tools for protection against enemy attacks. And what does God say there in verse 4 will function as a shield and buckler for us, as this form of protection? His truth, right? His truth. Now, what's that? We might say, well, his word, and that wouldn't be an incorrect answer. Um, his, his word does that for us. But the Hebrew word that's translated here in English as truth is, is emeth, and it literally means God's firmness, God's reliability, his faithfulness to us. And that's how Ephesians 6 uh, presents the shield of faith when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. We're to have the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so it's our faith in his faithfulness, in his reliability, that protects us, both there and here in Psalm 91.4. And so the implication is that this God who has a 100% proven positive track record of, of always coming through for his people, never, never failing them, he's going to come through for thee, for you as well. Verse 5 and 6, it highlights these promises of protection. Uh, let's read them once more. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. You shall not be afraid. So that is both something that God has made as an available experience for the Christian, but it's also a command when we do what is described in verses 1 and 2, when, when we dwell, when we abide in his presence. We will be protected. We'll have no reason to fear. We have a command here to leave fear and live in faith by learning and applying these facts to our lives. He is present, and his presence protects thee, you. And we encourage verse 7 to, to not rely on the circumstances that might be going on all around us. A thousand might fall at our side. Ten thousand. They, they might fall at our right hand, right next to us. It's happening, but it shall not come nigh thee. That's what it says there. It says, so God's saying, don't look at what's going on all around you and assume that's going to happen to you and let fear dominate. Doesn't this kind of remind you of Peter and Jesus when they were walking on the water together? I mean, Peter jumped out of that boat. He got out of that boat and uh, went to meet Jesus. It's a supernatural experience. But, but when did Peter start sinking and fall into fear? When did that happen? When he took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the wind and the waves. Verse 8 says that our eyes will see the reward. It will see the retribution from God to the wicked. Don't assume that their experience is going to be yours. There's key differences here that we're about to learn by doing a, a quick review back to the previous verses. I want to read verses 9 and 10 again. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, because thou hast made him your habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy 
dwelling. Now, especially in verse 10, that might be hard for us to believe. Now, we know whatever God says here is 100% true. But maybe we have life experiences that seem to contradict the promise and the peace of God's protection that's given here at the beginning of verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee. Now, it might not take long for you to recollect some experience of evil occurring in your life, right? It might happen this morning. It might happen this afternoon. Hopefully, there's no evil sitting next to you in the pew, right? But we think about, man, it sure feels like evil. Well, let me put it this way because it's the way that the Bible puts it. What we consider as evil. What we consider as evil. But what has God always done? What is he always doing? What will he always do? I'll bless you by not singing it. He takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he turns it for what? Good. <laughs> he turns it for good. Um, it's a little frustrating when I was studying this over the past week, and I read all these commentaries. They conveniently skip over, especially the first phrase of verse 10. Like they don't want to deal with it. Um, they don't know how to explain it. I, to me, it's really not that hard, and that's not because I, I'm any smart genius or anything like that. I just, the Bible declares this. Um, what a mistake to deny the truth of this verse, to avoid explaining it simply because of the presence in our lives of what we might consider to be evil from our own limited mortal perspective, our brief panoramic perspective in life. I mean, you know that the same promise is found in Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, right? Isn't that what God's word says? Now, it does not say that no weapon will ever be formed against you. It just says that, I mean, Jesus, Jesus promised just the opposite. <laughs> it says that when, when a weapon is formed against you, it will not prosper. It will not achieve its evil intent. And you know the promise of Romans 8, 28. I'm sure it's bookmarked and highlighted in your Bible. That, that God works all things for our good and his glory. All. God works all things for our good and his glory. Now, we cannot go a moment further with this verse or that one in Isaiah or this one here in Psalm 91, 10 without also uh, connecting it to the restrictions there are to this promise to who God restricts these promises to, is everything that has been promised here and in those other verses in Isaiah and Romans, is everything promised to everyone? His, his peace-infusing presence, his peace-infusing protection. Because there's a lot of people that don't live in peace. And there's a lot of people who seem to have many of these things that were listed especially in verses 5 and 6, um, happen to them. You mean there's restrictions to these blessings? Yeah. I mean, God says so even right here. Here in Psalm 91, who will be delivered from the snare of the fowler, like verse 3 says, and from the noisome pestilence? Uh, who will be covered with God's feathers, according to verse 4? Or as verses 5 and 6 say, who is going to be uh, unafraid of terror, unafraid of arrows and pestilence and destruction. Who? 
Everyone? That's not what it says here. We better recognize that these promises are restricted. They, they are given. They are made to, and they are fulfilled to a specific audience. Let's go all the way back up to verse 1. These promises, the experience of them, God's deliverance, they are for those who dwell in God's presence. They're for those who abide under his shadow. They're not for anyone and everyone in the world. They're not even for everybody who places their faith in God or their faith in Jesus Christ. They're made to, they're given to, and they're experienced by those who stay, who stay in faith, those who abide in his presence. And the Hebrew word that's translated as abide in verse 1, it literally means to take up residence. This is my home now. <laughs> um, to stay, to live there. And the very same message is given to us in Romans 8, 28. Who, who is the promise that all things will work together for good and for God's glory? Who is that promise made to? Everyone? No, it says that that promise, who love God. Now let's pick up where we left off in verse 9. It says, Because thou hast made the, made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation, not those who come to him, but then run out to depend on this or that, not those who trust in him for their salvation, but turn to someone or something else for deliverance. His promise is for those who have said, as the end of verse 1 says, in him will I trust and stay trusting. In him. Not in him and. Not in him and relationships. Not in him and my job or my career. Not in him and my wallet or my 401k. I definitely don't want to trust in either of those two things right now. Not in him and my own works. Or my own morality my own achievements. No, in him will I trust. It's for those who have made that decided commitment. In him will I trust and, and who abide in that trusting, in that faith, in that forsaking all I trust him. All right, let's go to verses 11 and 12. As God's promises uh, to these same specific people, it says he's got an entire army of angels that... Um, he can use at any point to carry out his deliverance. He doesn't need them. He, he uses them just like he chooses to use us. Uh, that's one of my favorite Old Testament names for God. And the King James, it's always Lord of hosts. And um, it's just kind of funny because when, when we think of a host, we think of the person that tells us we're going to sit in a restaurant. It doesn't quite have the same power as some of the modern English translations. It means the Lord of heaven's armies. <laughs> The Lord who's in control of all those angels. Um, and, and you know, that was a frequent experience in the Bible. What verses 11 and 12 are talking about, God using his angels to, to deliver his people. I don't know that it's any less frequent today. We probably just are not aware of it. We don't pay attention. Do you remember what happened to Elisha and, and Gehazi in 2 Kings 6? Gehazi is Elisha's right-hand man. And he wakes up one morning in the house, and he looks out the window. Ooh, we got big problems. The entire Syrian army is there to capture him and Elisha and to, to off him. And uh, Elisha comes out, and he's not quite as concerned as Gehazi is. Because what he sees surrounding that Syrian army is heaven's armies. 
he sees angels surrounding them. <laughs> and he prays, he says, Lord, give Gehazi this kind of vision. Help him see what I am seeing. The fulfillment of, of these two verses here, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 91 is trying to help you and I have Gehazi goggles that we recognize that, that this, the same God uh, also, he's able to use the heaven's armies, angels to do this for us. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were in Hebrews on Sunday morning and, and right there in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, um, it spoke of that. It spoke of angels. The point was don't worship angels because Jesus is better than angels. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them? That's us. Who shall be heirs of salvation? And God uses angels to minister to us. Or as verses 11 and 12 say, to, to protect us and deliver us at times. And verse 11 might sound familiar to you as it was grabbed and, and twisted by Satan, right? When he tempted Jesus. Be careful that we don't twist or manipulate any of these promises here in, in Psalm 91. Take them out of context. Verse 13 includes more promises of extraordinary protection. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. We might think, well, that's probably poetic. Yes and no. Uh, at the end of Romans, Paul encourages the Christians there, encourages us. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I'm longing for that day. I hope you are as well. Finally, in verses 14 to 16, explains the peace of God's promise. And would you look at these promises in these last three verses? Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? Uh, beginning in verse 14, God starts doing the talking here. It's God talking about those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and those who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, those who, who have made the Lord uh, their habitation. That's who he's talking to here. And once again, at the beginning of verse 14, the condition of you and I experiencing the peace of God's presence and his protection and his promises get, is given. It says, because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. So just like the promise in Romans 8.28, these here in Psalm 91, they are restricted to those who set their love upon God. And he will set them high on high. He, he will set them out of fear, uh, out of the reach of danger, out of evil intent. Who, who will he do that for? Those who know his name. Anywhere you see that in Scripture, when it talks about the name of God or praising the name of God, uh, calling out on the name of God, trusting in the name of God, it's always referring to God's glory and the attributes and perfections that he has revealed to us in his word and in his works toward us. Do you know who he is? Do you know who God is? He gave us four names right at the beginning. Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know what he's promised to those who know his name and who have set their love on him? Do you know what he's done for those and what he promises to do for those who abide in his presence? That's who these promises are, are for. And in, in verse 14, that's who this promise is made to, to deliver and to set on high, to let no evil befall them. 
And these promises are, are for those, as verse 15 mentions, who call upon him in faith. He will answer them. He will be with them in trouble. He will deliver and honor them. And he'll give them long life. He'll satisfy them. He'll show them his salvation. That is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's what he does for anyone who trusts in Christ as Savior. If you have set your love on Christ, if you abide in the presence of Christ instead of coming and going, if you have made Jesus your refuge, your habitation, it's where you stay, it's where you live, have you been given long life? Have you? You've been given eternal life. It doesn't get any longer than that. Have you been given satisfaction? I might, no, I won't sing here either. You know what it says? Hallelujah. I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. With his blood I now am saved. I'll show him my salvation. According to verse 16. Those are some incredible precious promises here in Psalm 91 that are, that are held out to us. Though Megan and Martin Luther, they are right. This is a jewel of psalms of encouragement. The peace of God's presence God's present everywhere, but, but the peace that comes from you experiencing it, that the peace of God's protection that's available to you tonight, that the peace knowing God's promises and that he's going to come through on them, that, that's held out to you right now in Psalm 91. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, and she would know about all this stuff, that great missionary, she said, uh, anything God does to me, he's doing for me doing for me. And he's held out to us tonight, all these things. If you will abide. If you will make him your refuge and habitation. If you will set your love on him. If you will know his name. And if you'll call on him and trust. If you will have faith. And these promises, man, they're too good to pass up. Uh, to, to not have fulfilled in our lives, to not have these be our, our moment-by-moment moment reality, just thinking, well, that's for some super... No, it's for anyone who will do this. Anyone who will have it. Experiencing them. I, I mean, all of this being a reality in our day-to-day -day lives. No evil ever befalling us because he'll take that evil and he'll turn it for good and for his glory. But that's contingent on us doing here what he says to Will you? Will you? Have uh, Richard and the praise team come up and lead us in a couple more songs of praise. I pray that's your commitment tonight. Make him your habitation. Stay. Stay in faith. You've come to him for faith. Stay in faith. Dwell. Dwell in it. Set your love on him.